Bobby Motter. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Robbie Motter, the host of Diva Strategies for Success, where each Monday I get to bring you a dynamic guest. I'm very excited about the guest we have today. I interviewed him in November 2013. He was so interesting that I wanted to bring him back again. His name is Robert White, and he's a transformational architect for executives. Let me give you some background on him. He's the CEO of Extraordinary People an executive coach, author of an incredible book, which I had the opportunity to read, Living an Extraordinary Life, and is a motivational speaker. He's also a serial entrepreneur who founded and led companies that have served over one million people and hundreds of top-tier organizations. As an executive coach, he focuses on powerfully improving leadership effectiveness and organization results. Robert, in addition to his direct work with executive clients and speaking to audiences worldwide, leads an unparalleled network of training and consulting professionals whose methodology is efficient, caring, and effective. His website is www.extraordinarypeople.com. Welcome, Robert. I'm so glad to have you on the show today, and I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about. Robbie, it's a delight to be with you and your listeners. I uh, look forward to uh, whatever happens in our conversation. Well, you know, your success in founding and leading companies like Lifestream, ARC International, and Extraordinary People is well known in the personal and executive training industry. With over a million graduates from these companies, you must have learned a lot about how we can be more successful in life and in our careers. How did this all start for you? Well, it was a long time ago, it seems like, Robbie, but um, for me, I did a seminar, you know, and, and it sounds like a cliche all these years later, but it changed my life. And uh, I, was a str- I had a small business. I was struggling. I uh, had been divorced recently, and that, that was weighing on my mind. That failure was weighing on my mind. And what I learned in the seminar was that I had patterns from my past that were just in the way of getting what I really wanted uh, you know, whether that be success or joy or satisfaction in living. And uh, out of that, I enrolled my family. I had such a great experience, and I enrolled my family and my friends and my colleagues. And uh, in doing that, that sponsoring company, it was called Mind Dynamics, they found out about me, and that led to them bringing me out to California and actually hiring me uh, to be president of, of Mind Dynamics to run the business side of that business. And, but it also got me just hooked on the whole idea of, of contributing to people's growth and development. And I learned that as I learned and grew, that it was just the most incredible pleasure to also include other people in that journey along that way. And then when that company's ownership changed, it became untenable for me to stay there. Uh, so I resigned, and that's when I founded LifeSpring. So, um, but then I also understand you sold Livestream to your partners quite early in the history. Why did you do that? Robbie, I didn't have the words to describe it then. Uh, so a simple way of saying it at that time was it didn't feel good. I didn't, uh, I mean, for the first time in my life, I got up in the morning and didn't want to go to work, and that was in my own company. So I knew I needed to look more deeply. 
so I got these words later, but I, I, uh, I had the feeling then I got the words later, and that was that uh, I had attracted a number of people into the company from my previous company, from Mind Dynamics, and a couple of them from outside. And what I learned is that I made an assumption that their purpose, their vision, their values were the same as mine. And what I discovered uh, early on in the in the progress of Flyspring was that they were not the same. That what I was up to uh, in my life uh, was different than what they were up to. They were not aligned with me, and I didn't know how to fix that. I didn't at that time. I just didn't know. Uh, so even though I was the majority shareholder and the president, I quit and sold sold the company to my partners. Mm. So that's when this idea of the importance of purpose, vision, and values first occurred to you. Did all that really that become instantly clear? Uh, not really. Re- I mean, it, it almost sounds a little embarrassing today, but it took me some time to figure it out. And part of my journey was to go to Japan and uh, go there for a three-month consulting engagement to create a training company and then leave. That three months stayed uh, the first time turned into 12 years uh, and creating the company ARC International and our life dynamics trainings, uh, which eventually spread uh, throughout Asia. But when we got to about 50 employees, I started noticing that the people that were there at the beginning with me, like that first 10, 15 people, they were just rock salad, man. They, they knew what we were up to. and But yet, when we got to that 50 mark, we started losing people. We would hire them. They'd be there for three months, six months, a year, and then they would leave. So I started interviewing people that had left. Uh, now, I guess that's called exit interviews, but I just did it informally myself. And I went out literally and sat in coffee shops with people in Japan and said, you know, you were all excited about this opportunity. Uh, we wanted you. You wanted us. And then suddenly you're gone. What happened? And uh, what I learned is that they didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. Those people that were there from the beginning worked alongside me. I mean, I literally set up chairs. And we painted walls in our first uh, training center together. They got it kind of by osmosis. What I learned about leadership in that experience was that I had to learn to be able to articulate that my reason for being and the reason for the existence of that company I needed to be able to talk about our values, not just live them. And I needed to be able to paint a compelling picture of the future, not just from my example and how I was living my life and running my company, but in a way that they could buy into it, that they they could join me in uh, in the commitment that I had. So uh, when that all came down to uh, putting it into words, and uh, you know you can have a drum roll here, that's when purpose, vision, and values became the core of, first of all, our work internally on our company, but then secondly, when we got into working with other organizations, what we found is that many companies are lacking in in communicating the meaning of of work to their people, the reason why they even exist and where they're going, and also those guidelines for how they're going to get their company's values. So the business problem that I had actually turned out to be a, a product that we now sell and a, a very powerful one, quite frankly. We've, we've worked with some of the largest organizations in the world, but also with uh, you know 10-person companies. And it's always the same issue. How do you communicate successfully to your people so that uh, they really get why we're here, 
and what we're up to and how we're going to work together. Uh, so that, that's that's kind of the background of how that happens. Yeah, you're so right. So many times companies just assume that people, just because they know why, that everybody else is just going to assume that they know. But you're right. Communication is just key, and companies are not doing it. So this is wonderful that you're out there showing them the way. Um, this journey you described seems to be equal parts business smarts and personal growth. How did you balance the practical demands of business success with your continued personal growth and development? Well, you know, when I first began to realize that I needed to be more open and, and talk about our company's purpose, vision, and values, to especially to people that did not work directly for me, didn't report to me, what I discovered is that I was in the way, that I had some fairly deep personal insecurities. You know, who am I to tell people what we're really up to here? Uh, you know, and my own confidence uh, was, was an issue. Uh, so the business problem was actually sourced in my own need to learn and, and to grow. And when I started handling those personal issues uh, through reading, through some therapy, through attending other people's seminars, uh, you know, we went on to great success. We were in seven Japanese cities, two in Taiwan, and then centers in the Philippines, Hong Kong, Singapore, Sydney, and eventually back in the U.S. And I think that kind of taking our own medicine really helped. Uh, I just plugged myself into a program of accelerated personal and, and professional growth. I, I became a seminar junkie. <laughs> I attended everyone I could. I got an executive coach. I still have one to this day. Most people are a little surprised to hear that, but I believe that great coaches have a coach. Right, uh, I agree you, with you. You know, if you if uh, if you believe uh, that coaching helps you be more effective, then you better be practicing of yourself. So, uh, and also, I read extensively, and and also I sought out relationships with people that uh, I admired. Uh, I've had just some incredible mentors and friendships. Uh, the late. Ambassador to Japan, Mike Mansfield, became uh, like a father figure to me in some ways. The uh, until just uh, June first, the CEO of the Tony Robbins companies, uh, Sam Georges, uh, was uh, a great friend and, and coach to me. Uh, the late John Denver was a close friend and and uh, a committed friend to me that that really helped me see a lot of things that I hadn't seen before in terms of what's possible. Um, the founder of uh, the Sarvadaya Community Development Foundation in Sri Lanka, Dr. Ayurodhne, has been a spiritual and kind of a community activist model for me in my life. So I, I just sought out a really diverse representation of people who were really models of living an extraordinary life, uh, one of both contribution but also of success. Well, you also made a big difference in the life of John Denver, and you know he saw he knew he was so grateful and recommended your work without hesitation. Uh, I saw that he w- was on your cover of Living an Extraordinary Life, your book, Unlocking Your Potential for Success, Joy, and Fulfillment. So that was pretty cool. Well, and John and I were, uh, you know, he came. Uh, we did a, a seminar for the Windstar Foundation, the the, found, the foundation that he and Tom Crum founded. And um, uh, we did a seminar for the board of directors and the staff. That's how, in some ways, I guess, I deepened my relationship with John. But we had young children about the same age. We, our wives were best friends. We went through a divorce together. 
uh, we traveled together for six months, and we just made a promise to each other that we would be totally honest with each other. I wasn't the adoring fan, and uh, he wasn't just another graduate, and I think we served each other in terms of our growth and development. We got angry with each other. We laughed uproariously with each other. We traveled together for six months, which was an incredible experience, and uh, lots of late-night conversations. And he became in my life what what uh, we call a committed listener. Wow, that's that, great. You know, you know, somebody that when when they listen to you, they're listening through the filter of, is this really aligned to this person's uh, purpose, vision, and values? And I did the same for him. Well, that's great. In our preparation for this interview, we talked about your recent research, observations, and executive training work on the power and limitations of our identities. Could you frame that for my audience in a kind of real-world way? Uh, Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And and that's also an outgrowth of a lot of work that I've done on myself, to be frank. It's also the core of the work that I do with business owners and executives. And in working with those wonderful men and women, I've learned a lot about how the way we describe ourselves is both a tremendous uh, empowering part of living, and it's also got its built-in limitations. So, you know, people can have uh, identities like, and you hear them usually in terms of I am or I can or I can't. So people that say I'm shy or I'm an introvert, um, I can do anything. You know, you find people like that. I can't make a fool of myself ever. That's one you see a lot with senior executives. Or Mm -hmm. I'm smart or, you know, I'm not as smart as others. Or I'm successful or I'm I'm always struggling. And uh, in looking at that, a couple of years ago I wrote a a chapter for a book uh, where various men who had experienced uh, uh, all kinds of trauma and interesting things in their lives and how they moved through them. And in that book I talked about three distinct identities that I've had as I've journeyed through life. I mean, maybe I've had ten, but these were three that I really could build, build all of my life around. And the first one, which brought me incredible success, was being a learner. You know, I'm the learner. I'm eager to learn about my business, about life, about growth, about the world. And uh, so I was this perpetual student. And then at at 46, I retired, or semi-retired, almost retired, moved to Aspen and, you know, built the big house and uh, bought an airplane and, you know, traveled with John Denver and was on six six nonprofit boards. And that identity turned into, without my noticing it, the rich guy in Aspen. And uh, again, the strength of that was it opened doors. It gave me a kind of ease that I had never had in my life. It, I liked the ego rewards of it. And uh, so that, those were the strengths. The, the uh, downside of that identity was that I stopped learning and growing. I stopped paying attention to uh, people in a way that had worked for me all of my life and somewhat walled me off from some relationships that I think would have nurtured me a lot more than than being the rich guy in Aspen. And uh, that uh, divorce I referenced, uh, a business failure, uh, frankly, John's death, a bunch of things led to my kind of exploding that identity 
realizing its limitations and uh, adopting the one I have now. And you know, I'm, I like to. I'm working toward actualizing an identity where I'm, I'm creating personal joy and satisfaction for business people, and doing that by contributing to them. So that's that's kind of that's kind of my journey around this identity thing and my point of view on it. So are our identities good or bad? Should we be changing our identity or what? Yeah, I don't look at them as good or bad. I don't look at it on that continuum. Uh, I, I look at them from the standpoint of, of really the acronym my previous company was named after, which is ARC, Awareness, Responsibility, and Communication. You know, it's the as you know, it's the theme of my book, Living an Extraordinary mm-hmm. Life. It's, it's the theme of my home study program. And so if we use that framework, awareness, responsibility, and communication, you first have to wake up to the reality of your identity, become aware of it, how it serves you, and how it limits you. Wow, that's good. You offered to share a real-life story about the power and limitations of identity. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear that, and I'm sure our listeners would too. Well, I'm going to ask you and your your listeners to play a little imaginative game. This is a real life story, and uh, that brings this idea of identity in. Uh, I think uh, right up right up front for us. Uh, so imagine a man and his 13 year old daughter walking down the street in East Hampton, New York, in midsummer. And those of those of you that have uh, an awareness of East Hampton, it could have been Aspen, it could have been uh, Newport Beach, you know, right. the, the summer fun place. And right. uh, it's just this beautiful day, they, and they've spent a day on his boat together, a father-daughter day. They've had a wonderful experience. They are holding hands and swinging their arms, and he is so happy that he breaks into song. So he's singing aloud on this busy street in East Hampton, New York. So the question becomes, the first question is, what is the reaction of the 13-year-old daughter? And I've asked a lot of people that question. And, you know, the answers come back that, well, she sings along with him and smiles and laughs. Or that she goes silent, dead silent, and looks away from him and drops his hand. Uh, or, and this is what happened in this actual experience, she yelled at him. She said, Dad, stop singing. You are embarrassing me. Yeah. Now, I think most people could kind of get that, that the identity of a 13-year-old girl is often in flux. It's right. in transition. It's a little fragile. And they are so easily embarrassed, especially by fathers. Um, so I think we can kind of accept that as maybe a somewhat normal reaction of a 13-year-old girl. Dad, stop it. You're embarrassing me. The next question is, how did he react? What did he do? And again, I've, I've spoken with people, I ask this question of a lot of people, and I get answers like, uh, well, he uh, went silent. And by the way, that's a kind of a male thing to do when we're confused or hurt, is we just go silent. Uh, another possibility would be, and this is the Robert White possibility, by the way, he would sing louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I have a... I have a bumper sticker in my pantry that my daughters gave me for Christmas a few years ago. I didn't put it on my car, but I still do have it. It says, I embarrass my children. So 
that's what my kids grew up with. <laughs> I know that feeling. Sing, you know, I'm the guy that would sing louder and attempt to bust them through any kind of embarrassment or resistance they had. And they have all kinds of, my kids have all kinds of stories about that. Uh, and, um, or, uh, you know, there's just a whole lot of things that he might have done. You know, maybe went silent, maybe he sang louder, uh, maybe he apologized. That's one that comes up. What he actually did was he lost his cool. He yelled at her. He just went off on her. And the real-life result of this was an estrangement from this very special young lady in his life where she gave him one-word answers for more than a year and, wow. and refused to really connect with him and just broke his heart. Uh, what I didn't mention, by the way, in the telling of the story, is that the man in the story was Billy Joel. Now, mm. <laughs> first of all, it gives forgiveness to all of the dads in the world, and for that matter, the moms, that have sung aloud and had their parents or had their kids get really upset with them. And, and almost all parents that, that will sing aloud at some point, their kids complain about it, uh, even if they're pretty good singers. But what Billy Joel found out by doing some therapy on himself was the very identity that he had formed that allowed him to get up on a stage in front of, you know, in the example of the Shea Stadium concert, 60,000 people. Uh, I, when I saw him, he was in front of 18,000 people uh, in, in Colorado along with Elton John. I mean, what kind of an identity does it take to walk out there and own that stage? I mean, what a marvelous thing to have that kind of ego strength. And yet it was that very identity of being the great singer, the great entertainer, that when it was pierced, he was so limited in how he could respond to the single most important person in his life at that time. So, oh. you know, that's that example of how uh, that strength that we build up in our identity can also get in the way of us getting what we really want. Of, uh, of, and the way, again, not good or bad, it's just that we have to recognize that strength because whenever it's carried too far, it can become a weakness. So that, you know, that, that power and the limitations that come with it, um, just beginning to notice that, you know, owning your power and also realizing your limitations, uh, it's going to really open up communication in a more authentic way with the people that are important to you. and and also really influence how you're showing up in their lives, particularly around leading, leading in your family and leading in your intimate relationships and leading in the workplace and even in your community. It, it, it really has a big determinant in terms of what's working and not working in, your, in any of your relationships. Well, that really brings the whole idea of identity into focus. Based on your experience, what do you suggest our listeners do with these ideas and identity? Well, the, the big thing is, is to begin that awareness process, of course. Just, just begin noticing in terms of, of how you are attracting and repelling the important people in your life. And w once you have that awareness, I think just naturally the body's uh, mechanism begins to adjust and, and uh, begins to shift in, in a way that's probably going to work better. The second piece is not to be a victim of it. So one of my identities for years was, and, it, and on and all of the assessments and testing, I could prove this, is that I'm a severe introvert. 
so you can laugh now, Robbie, and say, well, that's wow. obviously why a guy would get it. That. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why a guy would get into the training business is because he's a severe introvert. But <laughs> it's true, <laughs> you know. Uh, but um, I also used that as an excuse for for many years. I mean, that book that that you like and and has become a bestseller and a lot of people like and find value in in it. People told me to write that book for 20 years, literally 20 years. And I had a ton of excuses why I didn't write it. Uh, But what it came down to was this whole, my whole piece around, I'm not this guy out front. I run a company from behind. Nobody knows who I am. And that suits me just fine. And I'm shy and I can't, you know, all of that stuff was, Mm -hmm. was my identity. Now, the way it served me is that if you're in the training business and you're putting trainers and consultants out front, they really like that. Uh, mm-hmm. they, love being, they love being the star. Uh, so that really helped me build a, a very successful company. But the downside wow. of it was my own growth and development. So I was a victim of my own style. And right. when I hear executives that I'm working with uh, mirror some of the things I said to myself, well, I'm, I, you know, I can't make a fool of myself, as an example. Well, you look at a lot of the most successful CEOs today. They're appearing in silly videos. They're doing mm-hmm. a dance in a, in a hula skirt at the company meeting. They're having fun with people. They are getting out of their box. They're yeah, because they people the, see that they're really real. They're real. And they, so they've given up the excuse. Uh, they have taken responsibility uh, for showing up as a as a more like fully developed uh, full featured you might say human being and that's what people are attracted to people want that authentic self so that first piece awareness you know you wake up to it the second piece is to own it to take responsibility for your own life and what you're committed to and if what you're committed to like in my case required that i go out and do public speaking required that i appear in front of trainings uh, it required that I push myself outside of my wiring. Uh, you can only do that when you when you give up being the victim, and right. uh, so you know, and that's been terrific. And then finally, I think it's really important that you go beyond whatever your attitudes, habits, and behaviors are about communication, and to realize that mastery in communication is the key to getting everything that you want in life. I mean, once you're awake to your identity, as an example, and you take responsibility for it, both its upside, which means you should celebrate that side of it, and the and the limitations of it, which means you probably should uh, soften it, moderate it at some times. Uh, and then the final piece is start communicating about it. Let people know right. who you are, like who you really are. Uh, well, I want you to communicate about the generous offer available to our listeners, because can you believe our... Half an hour is almost up, and I don't want to miss that. So tell us about it. <laughs> Look, I, uh, I've, I've looked at uh, what could I do that uh, is certainly less expensive and easier than, than my one-on-one coaching or, or coming to a seminar or even, even my home study program. And so I created a, a 28-page uh, document called uh, Extraordinary Leadership. It's eight power principles for achieving extraordinary success. Uh, I'm making it available to your listeners at no charge. All they have to do is go to uh, extraordinarypeople.com, and on the upper right-hand side, they'll see where they can uh, get a a free copy of it, a PDF that will almost instantly download. And that also uh, 
enrolls them in my weekly extraordinary minutes. And, you know, these are the little quick reads, the one-minute reads that support Yeah, they're people. great. Um, they're really and I, good. Yeah, I and, and so that's that's the offer, extraordinarypeople.com. Uh, my book is also available there if someone's interested, or on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, Nook, you know, all those ways of getting a book nowadays. Well, tell we have a couple minutes. Tell them a little bit about the book and what it's about. Well, the the, uh, the book, a lot of people, when they hear that title, Living an Extraordinary Life, they're very kind, and they say, oh, it's about your life, and it's not. It's about the intersection between uh, real people. You know, a million three hundred thousand people have gone through LifeSpring and uh, Arc International programs, and they come. And, you know, they come into our seminars with these rich experiences, rich issues in their life that they're working on, and it's the book is about the intersection between those stories and our our ideas on how to live an extraordinary life. So there's real life stories of real people that have showed up in our seminars and how that intersects with our ideas around awareness, responsibility, and communication. And uh, that's, that's kind of how the book is put together. Well, I can't believe it. It's almost over again. How, is there any way anybody can, uh, how can they email you or call you? Or I've got the simplest email in the world, and I do respond usually within 48 hours. Robert at ExtraordinaryPeople.com. And um, I'm ha- happy to hear from him. Well, it was wonderful to have you on the show again, and perhaps next year you'll come back again. I always enjoy talking to you because you're always, I also love to learn, so I learn a lot from you. And well, also, uh, and it's a delight to be with you and your listeners, Robbie. Uh, you are, you're an amazing woman and, and uh, fun to work with. Well, thank you so much. And again, his, uh, his website is www extraordinarypeople.com and remember he's got that free 28 page success guide which is incredible um, and uh, so check it out and uh, again at your email robert at extraordinarypeople.com okay robert until <laughs> next time bye now <laughs> 